surface this week. It was cool kind of running the ship back there and seeing. Good to see you guys who are with us online. Um, and hopefully you have something fun planned this weekend, something in the neighborhood or some fireworks or a cookout or going down to the parade or whatever. I know our family's already in communication because we moved since the last parade we were at. Like, are we going to go back to the old spot or are we not? And of course we are. And so um, anyway, if you're going on the parade, we're going to be on this side of the road and make sure you see us. And so, um, and I appreciate uh, the prayer in this media today. I don't know if you know this or not, but um, some of church world has lost its mind as it comes to the country and faith and everything. And this morning isn't uh, a soapbox, although I haven't spoken a couple weeks, and so that usually means there's a little bit of pent-up me. Um, but I'm not soapboxing, but uh, there's this, this tension between we live in an incredible country with incredible freedoms, with uh, a, a country that blesses the world, and yet we also live in a land that is not yet all what it could be. And there, there is this back and forth with this. And not only that, I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but there's no flags in here. I grew up in a church. We had a Christian flag on that side. We had a, uh, uh, an American flag on that side. And it was just, it was how it was. And I don't know, maybe you noticed that, maybe you didn't notice that, maybe you notice it now and you're like, wait a minute, we need to have a cup of coffee about that. And there's a reason for that, is that um, it's not that we hate the U.S. or we love, you know, any of that kind of stuff. In fact, I'm a very patriotic person until Amy takes the flag down off of the front. Um, I'm always putting it back up because I just, I grew up in a house where there were flags and my dad served and all of these kind of things. And, but also aware that we are a long ways to go, and there is a rough history, and there is, um, but here in this setting, um, as much as I love my country, that comes below loving my God. Not in a way of like, you know, macho God, family, nation kind of a way that people say things like that, but in a way that is, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will be added unto you. In a way that, uh, I remember a politician a number of years back, somebody saying, do you believe in the Bible? And there was this tension with, like, what part of the Bible? And do you want us to live the Beatitudes? Because as a nation, to live the Beatitudes is a very different thing than as a nation to, and it was just this, it's not easy when we engage our our heads when it comes to what does it mean to be a follower of Christ who is also a citizen of a nation, who is also living with neighbors and brokenness in the world and all of these things. And so when we come to stuff like this, there's this part of me that's like, well, we gotta. And so it's, to me, the right posture to come into this with prayer. Because the story arc through Scripture, even though God moves through specific people in specific times, sometimes it's a tribe, sometimes it's a whole nation, and growing into becoming region and obviously to impact the whole of the world. Um, it's okay and it's right for us to pray for our nation, to pray for our leaders, to whatever. Not in a way that we think we need to get back to some 1950s idea of America, in, but that we would pray, God, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so there's this idea that we, um, well, let me get to my notes. We as Christ followers are called to live something different than the common message of our day. And it's something that's impossible and it's actually living into something that is not going to happen in our day. Um, not on our own, anyway. Some philosophies or, or world religions say that it's going to be the people who make heaven on earth happen. And scripture kind of points to we have a responsibility in kingdom come. 
but we, no matter what we do, won't work to make it uh, what God intends for what the prophets call the last days or the end of days. So we pray for and we live for a time that Scripture simply calls the end of days. Or we're going to see here the prophet Micah says the last days. It's an idea that rolls <clears throat> excuse me, over and over in the Old Testament. And the prophets point forward to a time when all will be as God truly intends it to be. So I don't know... <clears throat> I don't know your backstory. Maybe the last days or the end of days brings up weird ideas or uh, Sunday evening revival service ideas or, great, we're going to be in Micah, but he's really going to the book of Revelation ideas. But it's this reoccurring theme through Scripture that one of these days, actually, if you're, if you're a podcaster um, and Uh, Rich and I have talked about this. The Bible Project has a fantastic podcast on this idea of the last days or the end of the days or the day of the Lord. And it's this huge theme through Scripture that they take like, I don't know, 8 or 12 hours to work through. It's a lot of podcasts working through it. And it's super nerdy and fun. And we don't have any time for any of that today. So let's just get to Micah chapter 4. That's a tease. If you want to like really go in on this and you don't have anything to do this week, check it out, the Bible Project on, um, on the Day of the Lord. It's phenomenal. It's fantastic. Maybe, maybe for a sabbatical I could just like be, sit down for 12 weeks. We could just play it over and over. on a. That'd be good. So okay, maybe not. Nobody else jumped at that. So Micah chapter 4. Ready? So this is uh, Old Testament prophet, one of the minor prophets he gets labeled as, and that's not because his message is minor, it's because it's, it's short, and so that's how that works. And so Micah chapter 4, let's just dig in on this, says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of mountains, and it will be exalted above the hills, and the people will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the names or in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. So this is this this great some point to this, Micah 4, verse 4, as what it means to live as God's people in a just land. It's not that I overlay my faith on everyone, and Micah kind of ends with that. There's this blurring of this. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. And 5 is connected to 4. See, and even though, see, prophecy's weird. Whenever we get to the prophets, um, I usually say things like, when we think of prophecy, we think of future telling, right? Maybe you grew up in a setting where you had a prophecy conference or whatever, um, and it was like, and this is going to happen, and that's going to happen, and you were in like Ezekiel, or Daniel was always a fun one, or maybe Micah or Joel, um, and for sure Revelation. And so, uh, maybe for you, that's what prophecy is. But it's interesting because, and we always say this, so much of prophecy, it's not future telling. It's telling truth into the now. And so the prophets, some did speak future. God spoke through them, revealed something to come. But the vast majority of the message of the prophets is this is who God is. This is what God is calling us to now. This is how we are not living up to who he's called us to be. And so it's this truth speaking into the moment. That is the role of the prophet. That is one of the roles of the prophet. Now that said, this is future speaking. Micah chapter 4 is future speaking. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I have, and I don't know where this got into my head, but it got there and it stuck and it jumps up from time to time, that when I think of the prophets, I think all of this has been fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus came, he fulfilled the message of the prophets, he is revealed as God in flesh and blood, he is the Messiah, there, boom. But when we read this, Jesus has come, flesh and blood, but it sure doesn't feel like this is fleshed out, does it? In fact, uh, you historians might recognize Micah 4.4 from a letter President Washington wrote to uh, a community of Jews pointing to this, saying this is what we are hoping for in our land. This is what true justice is, that everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. There is a sense of security and peace and everything in its right place, and no one will make them afraid. And no one will make them afraid. And so, now doesn't feel like the fulfilling of that, though. And so, this beautiful picture is what it looks like to truly live under justice and under peace. And See, God establishes his rule, is what it says at the beginning of this. And the prophet uses the picture of the mountain of the Lord. It's this common idea in the Old Testament. It's this place that people are drawn to, not because it's an awesome mountain, but because the Lord's presence is literally there. And so folks are drawn to it. And, and being drawn to it, what does it say? It says that they're, they're going to walk in his ways, and he's going to teach us his ways, and and. He's going to rule between and judge and settle disputes and among the strong nations. Which is interesting because even though Israel is the center of the story in the Bible, it's certainly not a strong nation globally. So there's like, okay, that's interesting. That's what's going to happen. A nation won't take up weapons against each other and There'll be no more lust for power to drive nation against nation, and it'll be done. And the people won't even need to train for war. That Jesus has come, but this has not come to pass. See, through Christ, we have the right to be called sons and daughters of God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Scripture tells us that, but it's not the end. We're not yet living in the land that Micah describes, right? Right? <laughs> right? Well, Jay, you don't know my neighborhood. I mean, we have a really good neighborhood association. We all get along. We all, right? <laughs> Come on, church. So we're not living yet in the land that Micah describes. And so there's a couple things we can do with that. One is just disengage our brain and like, well, that's old Bible stuff. That's the kind of thing prophets say. Or, that's the, or we go, God, this is where you are aiming things and where things are going to be. The reality of Scripture is no matter what politician is in office, it's not going to be this way until Christ's return. Because there is always going to be sin nature there is always going to be the idea of protecting my clan, my tribe, my nation, my people, my whatever. There is always going to be brokenness. There is always going to be those who crush others, who push down others, who silence others. And it's not one side or the other of a political spectrum that does it right or doesn't do it right. Sin and brokenness and in, in the fallen nature of humanity, it's present in both sides. And so we long and we wait and we groan for the day when this is how it's going to be. And the Bible says that it's not going to happen until the end of the age or the last days or the day of the Lord. And that's a time to come, but here we are now, so how do we live? And this gets us to where we've been soaking in the New Testament in the book of Galatians. Now, Let's zero in on these couple chapters. Originally, I thought we were going to pull back and do all of Galatians 5 today, but then on second edit of this this morning, we're a different direction. And 
Hope that's okay. Maybe by the end of the summer we'll do more of Galatians 5, but for now we're kind of being um, outside of who we usually are, which is long soaks through big parts of Scripture. This is a long soak through just a few verses. So here we go. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Paul writing to a church with a little bit of conflict and a little bit of turmoil and a little bit of inward focus says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, Paul, I love this tag on in the end, and I've said this, but he's really in this chapter what he's dealing with are some false teachers who've come back into the churches that he uh, helped start and have filtered out this teaching that says, yeah, you Gentiles who love Jesus and have given your life to Jesus, that's great, and you can come to him by faith, but the thing that you really need to start doing is keeping the law. And by keeping the law, he's not just talking about doing sacrifices and eating kosher. He's like, go all in on the law, which means all the way to the point of circumcision. And these folks who are being uh, incredibly, like, pushy are saying, good, we're glad you like Jesus and all that, but you need to become a full-on Jew for that to happen. They're called Judaizers. Now, I don't know if you have anyone pushy in your life who says, that's great that you're doing that thing, but what you really need to do is such and such. None of us have any of those kind of people in our lives, not in our faith lives, not in our work lives, not in our family lives. So this is all theoretical. In reality, we all have those folks. See, and what Paul says here when he says, against such things there is no law, he's not just like doing a filler so that he can get to a different thought. This isn't just an interesting transition. He's saying, look, these things, whether you want to talk about circumcision circumcision, or not circumcision or whatever else in the rest of this chapter, he's saying these things that are a manifestation of God living and at work in your life, these character traits, there's no law against these things. There's no Roman law. There's no law in the Old Testament code. There's no law. So these are character traits that should be growing and at work in all of us. So this has been our text of this summer. And if you've been around, um, you've heard me say, this is kind of our centering question, is God showing through my life? Is God showing through your life? Now, in some of the churches in the first century, there was um, a lot of special effects, the spiritual special effects, the gifts of the Spirit, tongues and interpretation and miracles and prophecy and words of wisdom and healings and a missing. And this was going on, rightly going on, goodly going on for the benefit in the edification of the church. But while that was going on in some of these church settings, there was also like an Olympic sport of just vile sinning. In one of the churches where Paul needs to write a letter and correct them, we see in the letter of 1 Corinthians, there's like stuff that even today in our like TMZ world, you go, really? That's what you're doing? And they were doing it as a merit badge of spirituality because we still have the special effects of the tongues and the interpretation and the prophecy and the miraculous. And see, the real question in this is that is God showing through my life? Like, we can work this up, but we can't work it up for very long. Now, this list of the fruit of the Spirit, it's not just a list of try harder things to do. Paul's writing to the church there in modern day Turkey, 
dealing with these religious folks who are pushing to get back, follow the rules, be more religious, and that's the whole of chapter 5 if you wanted to dig in on it this week. And Paul's actually, if you read it, he's super upset about it. His pastor's heart comes out on these false teachers who are putting uh, heavy, burdensome weights on these new believers. In kids are out of the room. You, he goes. You want to. You they want to teach about circumcision. He goes. I just wish they'd go full on all the way and castrate themselves. Like it's in the Bible. Like whoa, Paul, settle down. I mean, we have some difference of interpretations, but you're you know have a Snickers. But. See, Paul understands why this is so toxic. Because those who came into faith, he says, you began right, but who cut in on you? And you started in faith in Christ, that you knew you couldn't do this on your own. It wasn't about your own righteousness. It wasn't about your own rule following. It wasn't even about how good you worked up the fruit of the Spirit in your life. It was all the work of Jesus that you receive as a gift. But if you've been around church for very long, it goes from the gift of grace to the hard work of self. And we slap a church spiritual label on it, but it becomes moralism. And it becomes this, I need to work just a little bit harder. And if you've ever had that sense of guilt going into church, not conviction. Conviction is different. Conviction is, I know I have brokenness and sin in my life, and God, I need you to do something with it. That's different than I'm just, I'm not doing good enough. God doesn't love me. And they can sound like the same fill-in-the-blank point, but they're two very different things. It's why Paul rightly can say, there is now, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus the price has been paid. No matter how awesome you are at showing the gifts, the gift, gift <laughs> of the Spirit, it's not gifts, or, or it's fruit of the Spirit. There's gifts, there's lots of gifts. A little rusty, haven't been up here for a couple weeks. Take a cup of coffee. We okay? Okay, don't worry, I'm on page three of five. We're doing great. So, first week, we looked at love. Love this idea of looking and acting for the best for others. Not just self-preservation. Not just on my terms. Not just, but love with no strings attached. Scripture, sometimes agape, is, is, it's known as. And then joy, we looked at the other week. And then, wasn't last week fun? Bob Brenneman here, uh, Dr. Bob speaking and catching us off guard and walking through. This is heroes of faith and walking through the lives of these saints that we could hear their stories and say, those are some folks that I could aim my life at or be inspired by. And here, coming back into this, is we're looking this morning at peace. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the first three of the fruit of the Spirit, the first three elements or aspects, it's one fruit of the Spirit. We are to bear fruit, not pick and choose. Oh, I, I'm good at love, and I'm pretty patient, so I'm going to take patience, but I am not kind. And you know what? I've got a couple others, and that's okay. And no, it's, it's all fruit. It's all the one thing that we're to be growing. But have you noticed love and joy and peace and does that feel a little Christmassy? Isn't it interesting that the first three elements of the fruit of the Spirit are three elements that we look at year after year after year in Advent? And so what I did today is just pull up one of my old Advent sermons, and we're going to go through that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jay, you've been off for two weeks. You better have something good. Peace. But every year when we come to looking at peace, the 
the peace of God at work in our lives, the peace of God at work through our lives. We say this, peace is that thing that you know when you don't have it in your life. Some of us, it's been a long season lately. And one of the reasons it's been a long season lately is you look at it and you go, there's just an absence of peace. There's turmoil, there's unrest, there's undoing, there's conflict, there's friction. Now, outside the walls, most folks would uh, give the definition of peace. And again, we say this every year. I'm not going to rehash all this too much. But peace just as being the absence of conflict, right? If you grew up in a house where there was tension and conflict and, and you had to walk carefully on certain times of the day or certain days of the week, you know, a little bit of absence of conflict, I'll take it if I could get it. Or at work there's tension on the team or in your own house now is just seems like or and peace is the absence of conflict. Like that's a pretty good place to start. But see, peace in Scripture is so much deeper. Peace in the Old Testament is it's the word shalom and it means it's this idea of everything in its right place. We say this every time, but some of you are wired in such a way that you can't go to bed at night until everything is in its right place. Maybe not in the whole house, but in like the kitchen or in the but on your tool on your workbench. I don't know what that looks like if you know me. Everything that's right place is like the doors will shut and then it works. But if you're wired in a way that you can't like click off your brain until everything's in its right spot, I know that can go too far. I'm not making light of that. But some of you, you're wired that way. Got to get everything to where it goes. And see, that's the idea of Hebrew peace, shalom. Everything in its right place. Everything as it's supposed to be. Parents of teenagers, uh, it, you know how hard it is to go to bed at night when the kids aren't where they're supposed to be. But when they're there, okay. See, that's the Hebrew idea of peace. And in the New Testament, in the Greek, it's this idea of everything working the way it was meant to work. The Greek word that we translate as peace uh, oftentimes gets overlaid on top of cities or villages. That this was a peaceful city or a peaceful village or a peaceful town and everything was functioning as it was supposed to function and that the people were prospering and flourishing and were safe in that setting. And so there's this idea of everything as it should be or in its proper place and everything doing what it was meant or made to do. That is peace which is still the absence of conflict, but the peace that we are to have at work in our life, it's so much deeper than just not being mad at each other. Now, I know in church world, the easy low-hanging fruit then is to talk about how easy it is to have conflicts in church and all that kind of stuff, but that was, that was a conversation for a couple years ago. One of the things that I love, and, and it's not because I have my head in the sand, but as a church, I'm very proud of just the spirit of together. And I know we all don't get along great. Well, we do. I'm just kidding. But I know we all don't agree about everything. Some of you like the Packers. There, okay, now you're with me. Note to self, Jay, just get them with you. Say Packers in your opening. or astroturf, or grass, or, or cat, or a dog, or nothing. But even on deeper, lower things, we're living in a time that's just like every other time where people gravitate to those that they agree with and talk like and sing like. And one of the things that I love and one of the things that saddens me is if in over a cup of coffee with someone, they're like, I don't know if... Water City is a fit for me. I don't know if I agree with everything going on with everyone else and where everyone else is. And I had a conversation with somebody, and they're way in it, and I'm away, and it's, listen, 
that isn't unity. The thing that the Holy Spirit leads us into is God's people gathered together in a specific place in a specific time. The thing that he wants is unity among the people, which isn't uniformity or conformity. We are united in Christ. We are all sinners needing salvation and having God at work in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Some are at a different point in this process. Some God is convicted of different things than others. That's one of the things Paul talks about. He talks about that in terms of freedom. He says, some of you, you recognize back in the first century, uh, if you went to um, Piggly Wiggly and went to the meat section to get your food, you may or may not be buying food from the butcher that had earlier that day been sacrificed to, the, to uh, one of the gods, not Yahweh. And Paul, in writing to those uh, folks, even though there was a, like a committee meeting in Jerusalem with all the bigwigs and they said, don't do that, Paul actually gets out into the missions field and does what missionaries does. And he's like, um... Yeah, just never mind about that. So we recognize that idols really don't have any life. And so if this is, is compromising your conscience, don't do it. But if it's not compromising your conscience to eat the meat from Piggly Wiggly that may or may not have been sacrificed to an idol, then go ahead and eat it. And if you're at somebody else's house having dinner with them, don't be a jerk about it and go, hey, was this meat sacrificed to Artemis or not? Because I don't eat anything sacrificed to Artemis. He goes, that all is secondary. Because we know that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And Paul does this amazing, cool thing that really, if we bring it into our culture, gets really difficult to live out. You know why? Because it's super easy for me to go, hey, uh, you could watch any movie up to R, except for The Passion of the Christ, because, you know, Jesus. And you can listen to any station as long as it starts with a 9 and then has a 1 and then one of the numbers, or whatever. You know what I mean? And see, Paul writing to the church is like, listen, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Trust that he's going to lead you and convict the things that need to be convicted and leave off the things that are not yet in between you and God or whatever. So, peace. So what do we do with this in, the, in five minutes? Just a couple things. Oh, did I not? Oh, okay. This launches us in. That was all intro. <laughs> don't worry, the points are quick. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, blessed are the peacemakers. And a lot of times we leave that off there, period, the end, but it's not, for they will be called children of God. See, this isn't a like, I'm going to opt out of that peace thing. It's a little too touchy-feely. You don't understand my personality is such that I got to get in there. And I got to say the things, and I got to twist the things, and I got to. Devil's advocate is not a spiritual gift. But oftentimes, I, in my own life, am wired that way. So let me just poke, let me just push, let me just say. But Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is total countercultural. Peacemakers are not ones that are usually at the front of the line. People going, you're awesome. I'm so glad you're doing this. This is great. In fact, peacemakers are the ones that those who have some power, have some authority, are the ones that they want to squish because they're the ones who stand in front of the tank. He goes, is this really what we're supposed to do right now? I've seen the image of Tiananmen Square. So Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So what do we do with that? Well, we say it, we put it on coffee mugs or we, whatever, but listen, this is super not practical. Jesus calls good and who Jesus calls blessed, it's 
striking because his values are upside down to our culture and let's be honest to our own see many affirm this blessing with their lips but in times like ours have moved towards the fight uh, I tip my hat this morning to a professor at Grand Canyon University. Uh, his name's Brett Berger. You know Brett? No? Okay. Um, anyway, he wrote an article that kind of helped shape this a little bit for me this morning. And in, in that, he says, the beauty of the word peacemakers is, is the beauty of this compound word is that it mashes the word peace with the word for doing or practicing, that it's active. Being a peacemaker is active. It's a thing we're called to do. It's a thing we're called to practice. Now, I hate to use the word call because that sounds like a thing that we're um, able to go, eh, I don't think so. But it is, it's this, God has for each one of us who are followers of Christ, listen, you are supposed to be a peacemaker. Peace is supposed to be a trait of who you are, it's God showing out from you. And so how do we do this? Peacemakers have to commit. So peacemakers have to commit, especially in a time where uh, peacemaking isn't practical. Peacemaking isn't just being nice. Peacemaking may be kind, but it's not passive. It demands that we step into conflict. Peacemakers in the Bible would step between two battling parties. A great peacemaker is Barnabas. When Paul gets saved and the church doesn't know what to do with him because they think he's a spy, Barnabas peacemakes. He steps in the middle. He uses his own social clout. He says, I want to vouch for this guy because I think God's really doing something in his life. Peacemakers step in between. See, and peacemakers initiate reconciliation when the others wrong them. The peacemaker is quick to repent when they've wronged others. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul, to a church in conflict, says, don't forget, and he's talking about the ministry that Christ has done for us of rec reconciliation. He then says, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And he's not just writing to the super spirituals. Now, reconciliation, I know, is one of those kind of big churchy type words. What does it mean to reconcile? What do you think of when you think of reconciliation? Meet in halfway? Broken repaired? Seeing eye to eye? What, sorry? Restoration? These are great. Take that, Bob. My people talk to me. <laughs> Season. This is great. See, this is one of those words that we, we, we talk about in a different way, irreconcilable. We get that. How many times have you seen someone in real life, in your life, reconcile? Hopefully you've seen it at least once. Hopefully you've been a part of it at least once. Because listen, all of us have been given the ministry of reconciliation. All of us, followers of Christ. Now, I have the joy of being able to say that to a church gathered that is not in conflict. We have not just had a split vote about anything. Wouldn't that be fun? We should vote sometime about something. Okay, there was no question there, so if you want to... Sorry we went long. Moses had a word. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, that wasn't right. want to be reconciled. Okay, now you've gone too far. Okay, ah, you're wasting your own time. <laughs> okay, we get it, right? Now, listen, I'm not naive or a used car salesman. This is not easy. This isn't easy, the ministry of reconciliation. Super easy to preach about, super easy to blog about, super easy to point the finger at others and tell them they need to be reconciled to fill in the blank. 
and that's usually you need to be reconciled to what I already have taken a position on. But the reality is God at work in our lives moves us toward reconciliation with others, and for some that's a long, long process. And that hurt may be so deep that it is a miraculous long, long process. And I'm not making this out like it's easy. But we need to commit to being a peacemaker. That means like actually going, okay. In a culture that either loves conflict or completely avoids conflict, we are salt and light called to be. So peacemakers must also be committed to the truth. Now, listen, this is maybe, I shouldn't, but I'm going to. There isn't a generation that hasn't struggled with truth. I know in the crush of now, it feels like we are wrestling with this in ways no one else has, and and there is truth in that. There's trueness in that. And yet we are not the first generation to have to sort through and deal with truth and have other people say things that are not true and filter that and try and figure it out. I'm not just talking about the news. I'm not just talking about uh, academics or talking about philosophy or talking about whatever fill-in-the-blank thing where you're like, truth has died there. But listen, follower of Christ, you need to be committed to truth. Not a, I did the research and you need to know this, pass it along email kind of truth but the truth of who God is, what he is doing, who he is calling us to be, who he is calling us to love. Because there's a lot of people saying a lot of things loudly in our culture using God kind of words that are convincing folks to not love their neighbor, to not sacrifice, to not lay down So we need to be committed to truth. And see, you may, well, hold that, different day. So you and I need to be committed to truth, to truth. What would happen if we as a church decided to not send off little propaganda posters, I mean memes, for a year? Not the church, like our Facebook account's pretty silent as it comes to that stuff, but just us. Where we actually talk to people for real. Where we engage life. Because see, that's the last piece of this. Peacemakers are in relationship. Peacemakers are in relationship. When we started Water City, just the few of us around the table said something. We said, we're not going to be a church where doctrine gets in front of relationship. It's not that doctrine's not important. We need right and correct doctrine. But too many allow their theology or their doctrine to be an insulator or an isolator from actual real people. See, the ultimate example of this is the huge word, uh, the Incarnation. It's Jesus taking on flesh and blood to come into our neighborhood, not just throw truth from the heavens, but to come and to be among us. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a lot of fear out in the world right now. Some we carry it in. Some it pops up at 2 in the morning when we wake up again this week. But if you carry that anxiety and you have the hope of Christ, think of how much more in the culture we live in. The past two weeks have been good weeks for me to not be up here and to be disengaged from the news. Because I don't know if you know this, but the world changed. And for some, it's the thing they were praying for their entire life that they never thought would see happen. In others, it's the scariest thing that could have ever happened. But into both of those settings, the good news of Jesus goes. And so we enter into the fray. 
follower of Christ, you are called to be a peacemaker, and that means going, not just saying. And so what does it look for our lives to be incarnational? It's a big word. It's not going to be a wordle. It's more than five. Nope, not this group. Okay. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or how can anyone give an ex- or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jay, we used this verse already in this series. Are you really out of stuff? No, I'm not. But it's interesting. I was talking to Norm a few weeks back after using this verse, and he goes, "Jay, the thing that stands out to me in this it's 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 your cross. We don't take up Christ's cross. I mean, we do." right? But it's putting ourselves to death that Jesus is calling us to, not one of the prophets, not Paul or Timothy that we're like, I don't know if I agree with that, Jesus. So what does it mean for me to live in such a way that I put to death my own needs, wants, rights, whatever, fill it in? This is the space God calls us to. Peacemaking will not be easy, and it may be not even possible. Let's just be honest. Let's be honest. Not every space and every relationship in our life is able to be reconciled in this life. If it was, we don't need Micah. Because we can all live under our vine in the shade of our tree and not be afraid. But not every relationship is possible to be reconciled right now. We don't have all the right words. We don't have all the right memes. We don't have all the nut time in the world. But that doesn't let us off the hook. We are still called to seek it. A different passage in Micah. And we looked at that. Seek peace. Do peace justice. Paul reframes that in writing to the church in Rome and to us, and this is the end. Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Wouldn't it be great if we like just put a line through this, just thanks, if it is possible, live at peace with everyone. Well, nice word, Paul, but it's not possible But he doesn't let us off the hook, does it? He says, as far as it depends on you. Well, if you link this to Jesus saying, just take up your cross, then as far as it depends on me is a pretty far away because it's a call to self-sacrifice, to self-sacrifice, to self-sacrifice. Man, that stinks. For real. It'd be so much more fun today to talk and do a sermon on our freedoms. You have the freedom in Christ to not be the center of the world. God is already there. And listen, I am no good at this. And so the closing on this today is that we are all in process on this. The good news of this today is we get to go, God, sometimes I'm a little bit good in this. Most of the time, not good at all. I need you. I need you. Do you think your Father who is in heaven, when you ask him for the good gift of his fruit at work in your life, is going to go, nah. It may take longer to ripen than you want. Ever find some fruit just before it's ready and think it's pink enough? Let's give it a shot. We don't get to decide when it ripens. But we do get to pray, God, grow it in me. And so is God showing through my life? Hopefully more yes now than even when we started this series and hopefully more yes when we move to the end of this series.
but in the right now. Are there things for real in your life that God's like shining spotlight on and says, let's do something about this and let's do it this week? Commit. Commit to peacemake. Let's do this together. (laughs) Right. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this space. Lord, thank you. This is not beyond you. God, we need you. Lord, every voice at work in our world is saying, don't worry about this kind of thing. That was for back in the day, or that's for Mother Teresa. But God, this is for us. Father, thank you that you have given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is a calling. God, it's a thing we can't do on our own. God, it's a thing beyond just the nine to five. I pray that you would grow us into that space that we would be able to live that. Lord, for those who have a very tangible thing in their life right now that when this gets brought up, that is the canker sore. That is the thing that just always seems to be there. God, I pray that you would move, you would move things one click forward. Just one. And we know that you could miraculously do something, and and maybe you will if that's your will, Lord, and we would celebrate that. But God, maybe it's just the slow next. And help us to be faithful and follow you and trust you in that as well. Lord, we commit to you, even though we might not know where that leads. We know that where it goes, there you are. And so help us to trust you in that. God, thank you that you are faithful. Grow your fruit in your people. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.